Hello, and welcome to the TV Movie Rewind Podcast with Matt and Todd. Hi, everyone. Uh, This week, we are doing the 1986 fantasy adventure film Highlander, uh, brought to us by Russell McKay. He is the director who, uh, just before this movie, did the excellent, if underrated, Razorback, which is about a giant killer boar running the, the outback of Australia. Uh, so they figured, you know who'd be perfect to direct this movie about immortals chopping each other's heads off? That guy who directed all those music videos. That's right. Because he directed geez, just about any music video you could think of in the 1980s. I mean, he did like everything from Duran Duran. He did the Buggles video, Killed the Radio Star. Oh, famously wow. Famously the first music video ever aired on TV. Wow. So, yeah, this guy... I don't know if you get any residuals or, you know, how much money you got paid for doing music videos, but if it was anything decent, you know, he should be set for life, should be set for life. Well, because you mentioned he did Duran Duran and and among and and, uh, I think you mentioned it the other day. He did at least Hungry Like the Wolf. Yes, he did several Duran Duran videos and Hungry Like the Wolf. Oh, several. One of them. Um, I know he directed at least, and I forget which one, but I know he directed the video for one of the Queen songs um, that's featured on this. Uh, it might be It's a Kind of Magic. I, I don't remember which one. Um, yes, but here's we're... another movie we're doing with a pre- pretty much a Queen soundtrack, unofficially, but basically the Queen soundtrack um, of technically two movies we've done. Yes, and and really, I guess the the whole situation there was by the time Queen came on board to do the original music, the movie was pretty much ready to go. So, um, with all the marketing and stuff that you know, they got the they got the mu- the music produced, they got it into the movie, and then Queen released it basically as their "It's a Kind of Magic" um, album. And "It's a Kind of Magic" is a line from the movie. Repeated. Yes. Yes. So the creator of this movie, uh, and basically, again, I would say the Highlander universe, since, you know, it expanded into an extremely popular TV series. Sure. Gregory Wyden, I believe it's pronounced. Uh, He came up with the idea while visiting a museum and going through all these armories, basically what you see in represented as as our Highlander, our lead character's apartment was basically one of right, like, the what if this wasn't apartment. a museum? What if this was a guy's closet and this was his history? He had he'd worn all this stuff through history. So Gregory what's what's surprising about him is aside from Backdraft and the Prophecy series, that series that stars uh, the dark, Walken. yeah, the fallen angel one, yeah, not the bear one, not the bear one, correct? Okay, he hasn't done a whole lot else. Interesting. Now, did is he involved? Uh, how much of the <clears throat> excuse me, because uh, as you mentioned, it's ended up spawning you know quite a lot actually, um, including even into the realm of video games, but it spawned um, a cartoon, if I remember right, at least two other TV series, the most famous being the Adrian Paul one. Um, and what five movies, including this one? Yes, and I believe he was heavily I know he was involved in all of it. Okay, specifically the TV series, which you know really 
Well, let's well let's get into it. Let's get into it, yeah. Because this movie is about an immortal Scotsman who was born in the Highlands of Scotland in the 1500s and discovers he's part of a race of immortals that have been around for at least as long as humans are. Exactly, yeah. Um, one of the characters mentions they're like 2,500 years old, So, uh, and we have no idea how old, technically. Um, we have no idea if he's even among the oldest, I should say. No, no. And all we know is these series of rules and that they, they only can be killed Yes. by decapitation, and then their spirit or their quickening will be absorbed by whoever whatever immortal has killed them right and they become it looks like they, they become slightly more powerful um or somewhat more powerful i guess depending on it seems like the quickening is like cumulative like if you're a particularly powerful highlander that's kill or, or i shouldn't even say highlander uh immortal rather that's killed several other mortals immortals especially themselves uh powerful immortals then you become that much more powerful um, it's almost like video game style, right? Like the more powerful thing you beat, you like absorb their power. Yes. And, you know, there's, there's, like I said, there's certain rules, but we don't know who made up these rules or right. Cause some of them, how they were passed down from whoever made them up. And it's, and it's also unclear as to what the penalties to those rules are. Like one of the rules that's established, that's kind of fun is that, um, you can't, you know, no combat on Holy ground. Okay. Now for one thing, it's, you know, what's holy ground. And I, I imagine that would include anything from like, say a mosque to, you know, any sort of temple or church even, but that's unclear in this movie. It's a church um, uh, that they use for the frame of reference. And it's, it's unclear, like, cause it's mentioned that that's tradition, which makes me wonder if it's just one of those things like y'all do um, just because it's tradition or like, yeah, is there some sort of like penalty involved? Like what happens if you just go ahead and say, screw it, I'm going to break the rules. Yeah, well, because according to Ramirez, uh, played by Sean Connery, who's the guy who exposits all this information right. to our hero, even the worst among them won't break that rule. Right. And it's Which true. Makes you think there must be a penalty. Exactly. Like there's something, something severe, or at least something that even, you know, scares them into being at least that much of a, uh, you know, that dutiful, I guess. Perhaps they don't get the quickening if they do it. Maybe, yeah. Uh, like I said, it's it's un, it's unclear if it's just one of those things that they've all just decided, and for whatever reason, for the better sense of duty that even the lowest among them have that they've held up on, yeah, or, or there's some sort of penalty. But I always thought that was an interesting twist. But anyways... Because they're not so, vampires, you know, they're not afraid of holy ground, they just don't fight there. No, but apparently kind of like vampires, however you your first violent death is is where you stop aging i was gonna say that's that that was my understanding but i don't know if they ever do they ever say that i imagine they exposit that somewhere along the line in one of the many spinoffs but they don't mention it in this not in this but it is established in the television series gotcha that was that was my guess anyway so and the other thing is that they will be continue to battle down, whittling each other down. Although, again, it's, it's hard to tell, like, when did they stop coming into being? But there will be a time of the gathering where the last immortals will fight down to the last one and the last surviving immortal gets the, the prize. prize. Now, why they can't just buy another box of Cracker Jack is beyond right. me. 
Right. But they're really after this prize. And Cereal's really not that even, expensive. They don't even really know what that is. Clearly, it's not immortality. Right, right, right. Like, what could the prize be if you've already got all this? I mean, the expectation would be ultimate power, right? If, I mean, you know, if you if if you've gained enough quickenings along this way, you kind of know what the deal is by now. So I guess you have to assume it's like the super mega limit break um, quickening, whatever you know, unlimited power, whatever that might be. So, anyways, the story follows Connor McLeod, played by. Uh, Christopher Lambert, a French actor who was really only learning English at the time he took this role. I didn't know that because he does a solid job, really, considering he, he, he does an excellent job. And anything yeah. like he didn't like, I guess he was a fast learner. They like, I wouldn't tutor, have guessed that they had a tutor for him and he was learning really quickly uh, because he'd been around English speakers. I mean, prior to this, he had done the, the movie Grey Stoke, The Legend of Tarzan, where he doesn't right. have a lot of lines. Well, because he plays Tarzan, I assume. But, you know, he, he was a fast learner. And then they think he didn't really, you know, he, he would at least know how to say it phonetically, which is why some of his line re- readings come off a little different than others. Gotcha. Because he's probably just saying, all right, how do I pronounce it? I might right. not know what I'm saying, but just tell me how I'll pronounce it. I'll get that out there and we'll get the take. So he is first killed in... Late 16th century Scotland. He's chastised that once he, you know, because he's supposed to die and then right. he comes back to life. So as his family and clan makes him an outcast, they actually want to burn him as a, as a devil worshiper. But right, because they assume his, he made a pact with the devil for immortality or whatever. One of his cousins helps him out and just says, "We're going to banish him. Just just get the hell out of town and don't come back." Right. Because poor, you know, poor Connor's like, what, aren't you glad I'm alive? Would you rather I be dead? But, like, they're all, again, they're all ter- terrified of him, assuming he made a pact with the devil. So, and and while this is an adventure movie with a lot of, you know, one of the coolest villains ever, the Kurgan, played For by sure. the great Clancy Brown. For sure. Who uh, who I'm just, I'm just giving him the, the, uh, the Wood Missile Award. Um, because he's just amazing. And I'm sure at some point in 1988 or so, whenever I first saw this, I'm definitely sure I confused him with um, the vibe that you get from uh, Brian Thompson in Cobra. Possibly. I'm sure I did. I'm sure I confused the two of them because he reminds me of uh, he reminds me of the Night Slasher or vice versa, I guess, in their own creepy way. We get uh, Sean Connery as... uh... Egyptian Spaniard, basically, right? Who, which is, is the Obi Wan to Connor's Luke Skywalker? Right now, it's often mocked, right? Because you know, of course, it's, it's Sean Connery, and he just sounds like Sean Connery. He's not trying to put on like a Spanish accent or anything. Now he mentions he's twenty five hundred years old at least, right? Twenty five hundred and forty four years or something like that. He says he was born. Um. I imagine over that time he has been multiple people so as not to like, you know, be too obvious. And I wonder how many nationalities he's been at some point. Well, and it almost seems again, it's not mentioned in the movie, but you get the idea that his entire purpose as an immortal is to be a mentor and teacher to other immortals to try to make sure that the prize goes to a worthy person. Someone who's not going to corrupt it. Yeah. 
Like, it seems he even seems himself to be aware that I'm not going to be the person who ends up winning this prize. I'm right. not going to make it to the title. Let me make sure somebody worthy does. Right. Because when he meets Connor, Obi Wan is a very good way of putting it. I, I, for whatever reason, I didn't think of that, but you're totally right. Yeah. A- after Connor has been banished, Ramirez finds him and, and, you know, instructs him and the audience. And the movie kind of jumps back and forth to, from present day, which was then 1986, to the past and other times in, in Connor McLeod's past, because it really is Connor's story. And almost like how immortality is a curse. Right. Because one, he's he's going to outlive everybody he loves. Yep. Including his very devoted and soulmate, Heather, who he meets after he'd been, after he'd been exiled from his, his clan, he meets Heather and they have a life together. And uh, Heather's played by, uh, Betty Edney or Beatty Edney. I'm not not 100% sure how to pronounce that name. She's my Whip Bissell Award winner. Right on. Because she has to really carry the most emotional part of this movie as she grows old. And then in her final scene, where we see she's now an old woman and Connor is exactly the same age. Right. And this heartbreak of both the two of them was where she listens. She could live forever and spend eternity with her, with him. And he, of course, feels the same way. And the anguish of she doesn't even want him there as she dies. She doesn't want to be. Yeah. It's just it is. It, it's, it's it's crushing. It's it's an unexpectedly like truly heartfelt scene in a pretty in a, you know in a movie about sword fighting immortals you don't re- you don't really expect it but it really does bring home the um, what immortality means because among other things they can't have children either and that was you know what they both desperately wanted and here's the other thing too is since there can be only one mm-hmm. how can you ever really be truly friends with another immortal exactly. Knowing that someday you might have to cut this guy's head off, which is another thing that no one's particularly unsure of is like, let's say for the sake of argument, it's two good, quote unquote, immortals right at the end. Like, what happens if they just both decide, like, what if neither of us want the prize? Like, who cares? You know, you do you take it easy. See you later. Right? Like, what happens? Yeah. What if it comes down to I'm not going to be able to kill you? Maybe It's just not worth it. Maybe, like I said, we, we don't know because we know Ramirez is over 2,000 years old when we meet him, and Connor's still only about 30 years old. And there's also something like throughout the movie, it seems like some sort of storm follows uh, the immortals, or the, at the very least follows them when something important is going to happen. So like, I almost wonder if maybe that storm gets progressively worse and more destructive and less they do fight each other. Or maybe whatever force puts the, put these immortals into play, will just keep putting another immortal into play until there's only one. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that's how the balance works. Like maybe, maybe the quote unquote evil uh, immortals are deliberate to make sure that fight happens. That's, I mean, again, it's, it's all, it's not mentioned, but I think we just came up with some stuff. Yeah. (laughs) Well, let me put it this way, and I don't, you know, well, uh, forget it. 
I'm not going to say anything about the sequel. Screw it. Go ahead. Well, I mean, it, it, it really is because, again, we don't know what the prize is. Mm-hmm. They don't know what the prize is. So they're not even entirely sure what they're fighting for. Right. They just know that they don't want the other guy to get it. Or person. Anyway. And and in particular, you know, Connor McLeod himself doesn't seem all that particularly interested. No. I'm sure he wants to keep his head and just have like a life. I mean, that's pretty much been his point throughout. Um, but, you know, with great power comes great responsibility, I guess. Well, And, and for instance, like in, in New York, he's been running an antique shop for, you know, however long he's been running the shop. And, and we learn through, through uh, dialogue that, you know, he just, every now and then he pretends to die and then leaves the shop to himself at another right. identity. Right. And a woman his, that is working for him, Rachel, who is now a woman in, I would say, her late 40s because it seems like he encounters her when she's probably about eight yeah you figure During somewhere World in the War early II, 40s so 40 yeah. years so yeah probably she's in her late 40s early to mid 40s yeah so she now appears older than him but we find out again that he rescued her during world war ii and was his adoptive daughter for, for several years so now there's that weird dynamic where like in certain scenes she's almost like the you know, the, the wise aunt, you know, guiding him along in his love life in certain scenes where it's like, wait, you're kind of his daughter that he... Right. It, it's, you know, it, it, it life as an immortal just doesn't... You know, we all like that idea of possibly living forever. But, you know, it's sometimes movies like this that really point out like, yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe immortality is its own curse. Right. So and um, and whatever power that comes along with it, because there's always going to be someone hunting for it. Yes, because our big villain in this, as we, you mentioned, is Clancy Brown as the Kurgan, who's amazing in every scene. I mean, and he's you could almost, geez, like he's almost like a. An, I would say the most equivalent is um, um, from from the, the oh, God, we we love the guy Mad Max. Um, um, oh, um, Commando. Um, Vernon Wells. Vernon Wells. That type of of of. He's got the Vernon Wells Mad Max look. Yeah, yeah. And he just—it's one of those person who just delights in being evil. Right. There's no, he he's, has no compunction about who he is, what he is, and what he does. Exactly. He's, he's, he's totally fine because he's just, he, he's just brutal. You know, he, 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 he seems to grasp at the very heart of it. Um, what is at stake? Ultimate power. He certainly doesn't mind beheading and killing whatever gets in his way to get it. Um, you know, nothing else means anything to him. Like the, the, the whole society that the rest of us as normies live in, like it, it's nothing to him. We're, we're just ants. Um, he's all about just killing all the other lions, as it were, getting getting what he gets. And, the, and that's it. Uh, and he plays it in every scene. Like he feels it in every scene. He just doesn't care. He just he wants his one thing and that's it. And, and he's enjoying it. And he's loving you every know, second. He, exactly. He, he's loving the fact that it off puts everybody else. He doesn't care about anything. 
a lot of movies, especially like Bond movies, the villain will think they're almost like the righteous person or, you oh, know, yeah. like, uh, you, nope. know, you know, I'm not evil. I'm just doing what, you know, needs to be done. No, exactly. Like, there's there's the, the scene where he carjacks an old woman. Yes. As she's sitting there in the passenger seat, he just leans into it and is like, mom, and then drives off at like super speed with her in the car just enjoying her terror as he drives recklessly through the streets of new york absolutely he's he's he like the, the, um another comparison is uh like luther from the warriors yes yeah he's, he's totally in it for the sake of being in it the power the glory and we should also point out one of the powers that the immortals have too is that they can sense other immortals yes which is important because otherwise you would just be like you know, it's Tom Cruise. Why did you cut his head off? I don't know. He looked exactly like he did 40 years ago. I assumed he was immortal. Um, also backflipping, maybe. Backflipping to the nth degree, at least with some of them. <laughs> yeah. But again, you would think, you know, you're mortal. You would learn every type of fighting scale style you possibly could. Oh, heck yeah. And I think I would probably cheat. Like, how come you always wear that metal neck brace everywhere you go? Oh, I just, you know severe whiplash you know when i was when i was a kid i just wear this metal neck brace everywhere i i i also got it well maybe we should get into the movie <laughs> well i mean it we we can't really i, I don't want to do this plot because the way it cuts back and forth you know what i mean it, it's, yeah it's, it's hard to just like but i mean we can you know as the movie goes on the other part of exposition is he's being investigated because at the beginning of the movie, the movie opens with him in a sword fight with another immortal, and we don't know what's going on. Well, know? it also opens with the great, fabulous Freebirds. Well, yes, they're at a they're at a, a wrestling uh, show, but when they go off to the parking garage, he's jumped by another immortal that he sensed was there. They have a sword fight, and again, if you're watching this movie for the first time, you don't understand the context of what's going on. Well, it's also you like you certainly don't understand it when he cuts the guy's head off and a lightning storm appears in the garage. The the immortals, at least a few of them that are left, also seem to all know each other. Yeah, but again, that almost seems to be an instinctive thing. Gotcha. Because well, when, when the Kurgan first meets or is first looking for Connor McLeod in Scotland, in the 1500s he just he, knows he's there he knows who he's he's after and he wants right. to be the one to kill him gotcha you know speaking uh you know uh given how i just realized how the prize kind of works i guess it totally does make sense that it would work for you know intermortal i guess yeah i guess yeah i guess i didn't really think about that yeah, like possibly it isn't until you make your first kill as an immortal and get your quickening that you get a full understanding of what's going on. Right. Like maybe, yeah, maybe that additional power increases your ability to sense others around you. And probably because more about them. Yeah. Until, again, until uh, uh, Sean Connery as Ramirez shows up and explains everything to Connor, he still doesn't understand what's happened to him. Right. Right, right. As far as he knows, he just survived a wound. He should he made have survived. A, he made was a miraculous accused, recovery, yeah. Was accused of witchcraft and exiled from the only world he ever knew. 
<laughs> right. Um, and, and then, you know, was, was sent off. And I guess, you know, I would suppose through the years, especially they, they obviously all seem to be world travelers, almost as a necessity, because really anywhere you would live, especially during the um, 15, 16, and probably even 1700s, if you showed signs of being, if you stuck around yes. in the same place too long, people would say, hey, something's up here. Right burn the sky as a witch. They, right, they're going to eventually notice something, yeah. So anyways, um, you know, we meet a forensic uh, police analyst who will, she's female, so of course she will become beloved for right. reasons. And while she's investigating, she comes up with a lot of these clues that also help a- exposit, you know, facts to the the audience. And eventually it does come down that the time of the gathering is now. It's going to happen in New York City. And now only Connor and the Kurgan are left. And it ends with this spectacular rooftop battle between the two of them. Connor, of course, defeats the Kurgan gains the prize and what the prize actually seems to be is ultimate knowledge and the opportunity to live out your life as a mortal right um and ultimate knowledge apparently includes the ability to like read thoughts yes um with the with the with the uh, you know implication in this case being connor being a good guy, it, you know, can better help people understand each other and like somehow bring about world peace. It's like almost like he's a, a messiah at this point, and now the immortality will ultimately lead to his death after he's helped us all. Yes, he can now use his knowledge, this vast knowledge, to help you hit humanity and live a life with his new girlfriend now and and live a normal, happy life and have children and grow old and die. Which you, when you think about it, isn't something the Kurgan would have wanted. No, yeah, existential. You get existential crisis. <laughs> the the Kurgan, I don't know if that's a prize, but okay. The, the Kurgan probably would have broke down, used his not used the prize to wipe out humanity. Like, well, if right. I ain't living forever, nobody's living no more. But I mean, it's... I wonder. Yeah, I wonder what would have happened to the Kirk. Like that would be a great Marvel "What If" story. Is what would happen to the Kurgan if he got that prize? Oh man! And who knows? Maybe absorbing all the power of the good immortals may have changed him. Right. Although right. Uh, absorbing the power of the evil Kurgan didn't really seem to change Connor. So who knows? No, true. But I mean, this is just. I mean, it's. It's a fun movie. It's an exciting movie, you know, especially if you enjoy sword fights and and beheadings. Sure. You know, they take elements of the Terminator and and um well again, like even almost almost Star Wars. Mm-hmm. And vampire mythology as well, kind of. Now, I mean, I remember when I first because this this is an extremely popular movie, as we pointed out. It had its first sequel, um, The Quickening, 
the less said about the better. It's like one of the worst received sequels of all time. And it's just generally not a good movie. No. Like, no, it's just it, not good. It's not even entertaining. Well, but we're also what we know what is what happened is because Russell McKay, he came back and was directing it. But then the movie's investors and financers used some sort of legal loophole to remove him from the project, and they finished the movies themselves. Ooh. Like, not filmmakers, investors. Ooh. Decided, we're going to finish this movie and piece together this insanity about how the immortals were aliens from another world who were exiled and became immortal here. So basically Superman. Forget it. It's Forget true, the, yeah. whole, the whole darn thing. Luckily, the later sequels fix all that. Well, then, you know, you get Highlander 3. But here's the problem. This, this movie doesn't leave itself any room for a sequel. Not remotely. Not remotely. And, and, as, and that's totally fine for some of us. As fantastic as the television show is, my only problem is it's technically a sequel to the movie. Right. I don't know why they had uh, Adrian Paul play Duncan McLeod, a cousin, as it were, to Connor, when they should have just said, no, we're starting over. You're playing Connor McLeod. We're just like, like the MASH TV we'll stretch show. it out. Exactly. The MASH TV show isn't a sequel to the MASH movie. It's its own thing. Right. That's what they should have done here because, again, the the TV show is able to flesh. I mean, it ran for five seasons, so they had the ability to flesh out. Answer some know, questions, yeah. Yeah. If it's a sequel to the movie, it's like, well, where did all these other immortals come from then? Right. Huh? Huh, movie? Where did, where did Connor's cousin from and all the immortals he's fighting come from? Did, did Connor win the division finals and now... <laughs> right. Duncan's, you know, now is the playoffs is in Division <laughs> yeah. Two, and they'll meet each other, which is basically how Endgame ends up going. But right. again, less said about that, the better. <laughs> I highly recommend the TV show. It was one of the most popular syndicated shows of its time in a golden and, era of syndicated shows. In, in a golden era of syndicated shows, it was. Yeah. It was well written, well acted. I mean, it just like I, I wonder it had some how much certifi- certifiably creepy, um, evil immortals of its own. Yeah, uh, yeah, very it, good villains in that show. It's it, I I wouldn't be surprised if more people found the movie because of the TV show than vice versa. In fact, if I remember right, and I probably don't, but wasn't the guy the lead singer from the Fine Young Cannibals like an evil uh, immortal yes. for a while? Yeah, and he was good. As was he was I don't really know, good. I don't know if you've heard of this gentleman, the lead singer from The Who, Roger Daltrey. Oh, that's right. I completely forgot he was in that show. I completely forgot that. Mark Singer was in the show as an immortal mountain man, and oddly enough, apparently he was in uh, the running to play Connor McLeod in the movie. Oh, no kidding. Also, I supposedly. Uh, was uh, Kurt Russell, but I can't see Kurt Russell in the role. I could definitely see Mark Singer, but yeah, I don't, yeah, I just... As much as we both love Kurt Russell, I just don't know if this would have been the role for him. No. No, I don't think it works for what, you know, I'm so used to, I should say, from uh, Kurt Russell at this point, but I could could see Mark Singer. 
I mean, going back to 86, you know, it wasn't like he was quite set, Kurt Russell, in, you know, but, yeah, I don't know if I can I can see him as uh, Connor McLeod. Yeah, I, I had no idea he was in the running. I wouldn't have seen it either. But the other thing, you know, again, this is a movie. It's, you know, the incredible effects, uh, great act, great visuals. The movie oh, for is sure. a it's visual, beautiful movie. Um, it's it, it, it's a really visual masterpiece. Is. Yeah. One of the biggest things I remember about this movie is, and I think it would have been probably, well, yeah, I was in high school, so probably 1988. And I remember I was in one of my science labs. I was in, you know, the, the, we were broken up into groups for the year. And I was in this group with this one guy who just did not like me. Mm-hmm. And mostly because it was a nerd and I talked about science fiction a lot, you know, who, you know. Now, who, yeah, you were 20 years ahead of your time, 40 years ahead of your time. Man. And, you know, it really just seemed to bug him. But I remember one time, like, he came into school and just, and it seemed like he was even madder about it. But he's like, you know, I watched that movie Highlander, and I thought it was going to be stupid. But, man, it was really good. I really ended up liking it, and it only seemed to make him like me even less. (laughs) Because, you know, after being making this big thing about how I'm just the sci-fi nerd, which I was and still am, but to, to find out, like, oh, because, you know, there's people who look down on horror and sci-fi that have never seen it, but they have it in this little pigeonhole that they think it is. And it's still today, like, when you hear the term elevated horror. Yeah. Screw yeah. You. you know who uses elevated horror? Pretentious snobs. Yeah, screw you. You know, oh, no, I don't like horror horror movies. I wouldn't be caught dead watching a horror movie, but this is elevated right. horror. It's a, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I you know, it wouldn't be surprised if he tried to pitch it's elevated science fiction. That's why I can enjoy it. This movie, yeah, this movie rules. Um the, did they ever cuz you watched more of the TV show than I did did they ever establish what happens if you just use like a big enough gun well if you as you mentioned it the guy who played fine young cannibals uh, the guy the, the guy yeah the guy from fine young cannibals who was one of he would cheat he had two henchmen who would sometimes come in gun down the immortal because you know it'll stun they, you at least yeah they yeah they couldn't just shrug off bullets and then when they were down, he'd cut their heads off. Oh, right on. But there was an also an episode of the show where an immortal was. I on mean, the not wrong, right on. <laughs> was on the wrong end of a mafia boss who was going to put him in concrete shoes and throw him to the bottom of the the river. Ooh. And the immortal's like, "Why did you shoot me in the head? <laughs> you know, don't don't judge it. Shoot me in the head. Set fire to me. Wouldn't that be more satisfying? Because can you imagine being immortal and now, like, probably Ugh. having to wait? Like, well, maybe someday these concrete boots will just kind of right. float away, and I'll be able to swim out of here. But this is gonna suck for a good long time. Oh God, yeah. In, in fact, there's an episode where Roger Daltrey is captured by 
you know, not other immortals, but but a cult that's about to put him in the guillotine. And he's upset, not so much even about dying, but like, there's no other immortals here. My quickening will be wasted. Right. So there's almost like this, you know, establishment of like my quickening. I will still live on even after I'm killed, because as long as my quickening is absorbed by another immortal. Right. I wonder. Yeah. Like, I wonder, like. If they cut his head off, which presumably they didn't, but if they did, like, does all the weird quickening stuff happen? And are they just like, oh, he was definitely a witch then? Yeah, I got to imagine that stuff still comes out of him. Right, right. So you figure for some, like, you've just confirmed, you know, the existence of uh, whatever it was you were trying to confirm. You have to imagine there was a lot of, like, smug, self-satisfied smiles on the faces of, like, many a witch hunter who caught uh, an immortal. But, you know, what's really important about the TV show is, again, not only does it expand the universe, but it's very rare for a movie to be this good. It's not rare for a movie this good to have a terrible sequel. Oh, for sure. Yeah. It's weird that it never recovers from the terrible sequel. Right. Usually you get something. While the third movie, both known as Highlander 3, The Sorcerer, and Highlander 3, The Final Dimension. Which it's not is not terrible it's it's a decent enough movie it still suffers from the whole we we wrote ourselves into a we left no opening for a sequel right it makes it would have made more sense for them to be prequels if you're going to make more highlander movies make them prequels exactly exactly but man where it's like in star trek lore was the even number movies that are good Highlander 2 and Highlander 4 are both such atrocious. <laughs> Highlander 4. And, and but also Highlander 5, the source, even worse. Yeah. Yeah. Endgame is, Endgame is special bad compared to Quickening because Quickening is boring. Like Highlander 2 is boring. Highlander 4 is not boring, but it's not at all good either. Well, um, just a horrifically edited movie. Again, Highlander 2, the quickening, at least I can give them credit for, they were trying to explain the first movie. They were trying. They did a terrible job. Right. But again, it was taken over by non-filmmakers and people who just wanted to make money or make sure their money came back to them. Right. But, oh man, it's just... Like, as far as the movies are concerned, anyway, whatever logic you can conjure up after seeing the first movie as to how the rules might be worked out is probably better than, or almost certainly better than what the rest of the movies try to do. Um, but the, the the TV series is exceptional. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a good use of the property. Yes. I, like I said, my only wish is that they had separated it more from the movies because again, it basically what happens about, we talk about two immortal friends eventually having to face off against each other comes up in end game. Right. And that's not something you want to see. Right. You know, I don't think anybody ever wanted to see, say Luke Skywalker and Han Solo have to fight it out to the death. Sure. Sure. I mean, you know, in this movie in Highlander, we never wanted to see, uh, but you were fearing it that, you know, Ramirez and uh, Connor would have to fight. That's why it's almost better that he has to die brutally at the hands of the Kurgan. One of the last immortals before the final battle is an old friend of Connor's named Castian. 
Yeah. And it seems like they obviously, you know, get along real well, but fortunately or unfortunately, Castigan has to go up, goes up against the Kurgan first and is killed. And again, you're almost like wondering, like, it obviously seems to be by random encounter. Right. You know, the, the immortals do seem to be to at least somewhat be seeking each other out to fight each other down. Because again, at least you got the evil ones who want the prize. And I'm sure there's plenty of good ones who want the prize themselves, but are only willing to go so far to get it. Right. But again, it's all just. I mean, yeah, we, we talked about it before. You got the Queen soundtrack. Yes. Really helping this movie along. The visuals Stunning. help the movie along. And the story never, because it even. Even the story runs the gamut of from tragic to comedic. Yes. Like yeah. the, the whole flashback to a duel that Connor McLeod had in uh the this the it must have been like the, the mid seventeenth uh seventeen hundreds or something, yes. yeah. Mid eighteenth century a I'm comedic guessing. Scene, yeah. Which I think was taken out of the original American release of the movie. I don't think that was originally in there. The scene in its entirety? I thought it was just the end that was taken out. Oh, I, I think it was the scene in entirety, but it could be that. I, oh, wow. I also think the first time I watched this movie was on network television, so it might have been edited out anyways. Fair enough, yeah. Uh, yeah, probably the same. I think we watched it on like TBS or something. So, I mean, it just... Again, anybody listening to this podcast, I guarantee, has watched this movie. Yeah. This isn't but... something unheard of by anyone. It's not. I mean, I, I would say, you know, oft quoted as a as a pop, pop culture phenomenon, certainly throughout the 2000s, where um, the age of this movie wasn't that far away. I mean, now it's encroaching upon 40. And depending on the time that you read this, it might be yet older. And to some, if you don't know much about the movie, if you haven't looked it up, if you're just glancing across it and you just see like a 40, maybe even 50 year old movie and just like, I don't know. Um, you know, maybe you heard this and, and, and maybe we helped you seek it out. Because there are going to be some who've just never seen this movie before, probably haven't even heard of it. Because while it was hugely talked about, is it now? Well, that and, you know, Christopher Lambert, who had a decent career, you don't really see or hear from him much anymore either. Right. But this movie is currently available on Peacock, as is the TV series. And I highly encourage people to watch both if they haven't. Or, you know, the TV series if they missed out on that. Because now I'm thinking, like, yeah, the TV series is over 30 years. Well, not quite 30, over 20 years old at this point. Yeah, Because exactly. that was, I believe the TV series ran from, like, 92 to 97. That sounds about right. Like so, I said, yeah, the, golden, 20... the golden age, like the Xena and Hercules years. and so, so the TV show is 25 years old at this point. Yeah, wow. Uh, boy, we're getting old, and neither one of us is immortal. No, not that I know of. So, anything else you had to say about that? About Highlander? No, I mean it's got a little bit of everything that I could want, really, and and pulls them all off very well. Um, uh, whether it be the the visuals, the soundtrack, just the you know the the, the whole plot and the the, the um, 
the the world building of the Highlanders and all like the you know the sword clashing. I mean, what else could I want? Even a little bit of wrestling. <laughs> As we put, yes, I guess originally they wanted to have it open up at a hockey game. <laughs> well, there you go. I mean, either well, would have worked for me. <laughs> well, I guess the NHL says like no because they the the filmmakers told like we're going to focus on like we want to um we want fights. We want to focus on the fighting. Oh. And so the, the NHL is like, no, no, no. The, the, we don't want to promote the violence of hockey. So, Which is like in 85, 85 that tracks. They should have asked just about like five or six years earlier. Because then they would have been during, like, hell yeah. <laughs> film during the filming of Slapshot. Right. You right. guys are filming Slapshot. Slapshot. We're filming our movie. We'll share some production budget. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It, it it opens with the with the wrestling match now. Um. So, uh, what are your recommendations then? So, recommendations. Uh, it, you know, it's hard to recommend without just going like, well, here's another movie that's got like swords in it. But I mean, uh, the the vibe I get with this movie is similar to the Thirteenth. The, the vibe I, I I get when I watch the Thirteenth Warrior. Um. So that's probably my my primary, you know, immediate pick. Next to that, and movies like you know, um, the Beastmaster. But I, I think you know, Thirteenth Warrior. This movie's up, you know, considerably more uh, supernatural than the the Thirteenth Warrior is. But it's got that like sort of um, you know juxtaposition between the the, the edge of those two worlds uh, of of the, the the supernatural or like you know mildly supernatural. Because of this, it's not like there's like thousands of immortals around uh, and they have like, you know, they're wielding like unlimited powers that they're just pulling out of nowhere constantly. Um, you know, like Jedi's or something like that. So, you know, that, that sort of re- restraint and, and kind of bringing it back to the basics of just like the, the, the mono e mono duel, um, uh, the, the, you know, which is not quite what 13th warrior is like, but it's, again, it's just sort of like, I don't know. I get the same vibe from it. Well, I'm going to go with the Will Smith movie, Hancock. Sure. And I understand how, you know, I might be coming off recommending Will Smith, but, you know, the movie's made. Will Smith is who he is, you know, who cares. But Hancock follows a lot of the same kind of things as this movie. And along that line, too, is also Samaritan, the, the recently Stallone movie. That's a really fun movie. And... That's on Amazon? That's on Amazon Prime. Yeah, that's a really fun movie. Seek that one out. And if you can find it, it's a movie called Runestone. Oh, yes. Alexander. Um, oh, my God. I forgot the guy's name. Uh, is it the guy? It's the, one of the guys from um, one of the terrorists from Die Hard, or one of yeah, the one of the bank the, robbers from Die Hard. The 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 one that's killed in the fight, like at the right yeah, at the end. The the one whose brother gets killed. Is it the one whose brother got killed? Yes. First, first by yeah. I can't. I don't remember his I name. I can't either, believe but... I I I should have written it down. That's like a werewolf that's, movie or something, right? It's it's a werewolf movie, and he plays the guy whose name I can't think. Of. Look that up. You look that up for me. Well, I described the movie because we got to give him his name. It's probably the only way people will I, be able to find the movie. I have not thought about that movie in forever. Wow, that's a name pulled out of nowhere. But I used to have it on VHS and because I'm yeah. a werewolf fan, but um, it's a he's basically playing the 
Tyr, who's one of Thor's brothers in North mythology, and the werewolf creature in the movie is basically the reincarnation of the the, the wolf Fenris from Norse mythology. And he's been an immortal living around waiting for his destiny to come to when he can destroy the werewolf finally. Um, the, the name we're looking for is Alexander Godunov. How did I? I should have known that. Yes. Uh, and Alexander Godunov. Also in that movie, although I'm not sure how long, because I'm sure you remember it better than I do, but uh, Joan Severance, Lawrence Tierney, and uh, Peter Rieger. Uh, it's been a while since I've seen it, but when I had it on VHS, I did watch it quite a bit. Yeah, no, I, 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 can, I, can, I, can, I think I can remember bits and pieces of it in my head, because you watch that a lot. Any, any info on when that movie, if that movie's available to watch anywhere? Uh, look. But yes, oh. so Runestone, for me, Runestone, Hancock, and um, what did I say? Samaritan. Samaritan, yeah. It doesn't seem so. Um, or at least it's, uh, I mean, let me put it this way. I guess if you search for it, you'll find it. But it's not, um, like I can't find it on the Amazon. Or nah. or well, if, you, if people happen to come across it, it is a recommendation. Yeah, uh, yeah again, like you, you can find it, but it's, yeah, I, I didn't see it on Netflix or Amazon Prime or anything like that. All right. So, anything else? Um, just, uh, just, just a brief like side story, but um, we could do it after your uh, magnificent seven. Oh, okay. Um, so you know, connect this movie to the magnificent seven, and to do that, how was I going to connect this movie to the magnificent seven? I mean, was Sean Connery in anything or? Was I going to do it with Sean Connery? I oh mean, you could God. Christopher Lambert's been in tons Will of today. stuff. I, <laughs> genie. You know what? Tell your side story while I try to connect this. Okay. Seven. Right on. Good this, Lord. This has nothing to do. Uh, this has nothing to do with Highlander specifically, but slightly to do with um, your story from the science lab there in high school. Uh, although in this case, like, you know, we're all friends. Like there's no, there's no hatred involved. Um, but you know, there's a buddy of mine who spent most of last year, I suppose, getting into and watching the entirety of, um, dark shadows. And as you can imagine, because it's a lot of episodes, there's a lot of dark shadows content, like he was really into it. So, you know, he would talk about it like, like anyone, you know, when you're into something, you find reasons to, to talk about it or reference it or whatever. Um, and he, you know, he lives with two other people. So of course, you know, they've heard it over and over again. And, of the, you know, it's like 1200 plus episodes. So they're quite familiar whether they wanted to be or not with the show, but they didn't, you know, it's not like they were, they were watching it. It was just like, oh, he's into this thing like from forever ago. So the more he would talk to me about it, the more I was just like, all right, fine. You know what the hell I'll, I'll, I'll check it out. Cause I was always kind of interested. And now that I'm watching it and I'm like 160 odd episodes in and I'm like, man, Jay, this is really good. And I would tell them the people that he's living with. Yeah, no, this is actually really good. I'm super into it. They're just like, oh, God, not you, too. <laughs> not you, too. Because <laughs> they refuse. It's like, you know, it maybe it is good, but I just I can't. <laughs> I just I can't. Well, since I've totally forgotten how I was originally going to do this, I'm going to say. Clancy Brown, who was okay. the Kurgan in this movie, was in Extreme Prejudice with 
Okay. Um, um, what's it? Michael Ironside. Yep. Michael Ironside was in um, Total Recall with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Okay. Uh, I think I know where you're going next. Arnold Schwarzenegger was in Expendables 3 with um, Mel Gibson. Um, where was I going with this one? I would have thought you were going to go to Eraser. That's where I was going. Yeah, I, I just assumed you were going to go <laughs> through Eraser with Arnold Schwarzenegger. But, you know, I used Eraser with... You used um, it, yeah, you've used it before, I'm sure. With, but, with, yeah. with James Coburn, but that's, I don't know. You know, it's the, it's the heat. <laughs> the heat has gotten to me today. It's, it's that ridiculous New England heat, November heat. And the, <laughs> Although I, I, I laugh, but it is like 78 degrees and humid. It's it's extremely humid and extremely... <laughs> no, I got to do this right. I gotta and do and this 78 right. is hardly boring, uh, hardly boiling. I know anyone who lives, you know, certainly south of us. But yeah, 78 and, and humid is weird for New England in, in November. No, all right. So here we go. Okay, Christopher Lambier was in. What's the name of that chess movie? Oh God, I have no idea where you're going with this. Neither do I. Searching for Bobby Fischer? I have no idea where. No, you're... no, it was that chess movie with the serial killer, and he's a grandmaster with Tom Skerritt. Oh boy, I have no idea. Are you making up movies now? Because it sounds pretty good. I'll watch it. I think it was called Night Moves, but Night with a you know K. Okay. Are you All right, sure that. you're not just picking titles trying, from Seinfeld? I was trying to avoid going through the obvious like Sean Connery, but I'm going to have to go through the obvious like Sean Connery. Okay, well, nope. Night Moves is a real movie starring Christopher Lambert. So, yep. All right, so Night Moves with Christopher Lambert. It also stars Tom Skerritt. Sure. Tom Skerritt was in The Devil's Reign with Ernest Borgnine. Okay. Ernest Borgnine was in The Dirty Dozen. He was. With Charles Bronson. Right on. Okay, there we go. I'm sorry, folks. <laughs> I'm having fun. Although, would you be surprised to know Tom Skerritt was not in... I'm kidding, he is. He was not in what? No, he, he was. He was. He was in Night Moves. I'm kidding. Yeah, he's the cop I, in Night Moves. I know I, that much. I, I've I've literally never heard of this movie until you just said it. Yeah, he plays... Christopher Lambert plays a chess master. And the police are tracking a serial killer who they're pretty sure is another chess master. It's been a while since I've seen it. I don't think they suspect the Christopher Lambert character. I think they just need his help because the, the serial killer is using like famous chess moves right. and clues or whatever. Okay, yeah, I got you. I got you. I got you. So he's almost like a Batman villain. Yeah. Gotcha. Well, I thank you folks for sticking it out with us this far. Uh, we and as always, you can find us on uh, Instagram and Twitter at Movie Matt Sorois, all one word: M O V I E M A T T S I R O I S. And uh, we thank you for listening, and hope to have you back next time. Goodbye, everyone. Stay gold, people.